pickaxe. Thanks for coming on. No, thank you so much for having me on. I am uh, I'm very excited about this. Yeah. So, um, uh, oh, oh. So now I understand your name. So, obese to beast. Yeah, yeah. If 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 you just read it as like obese to beast, it's just like what is that? I don't understand. But yeah, it's like obese to beast. beast. And and so I'm yeah. presuming that you used to be obese. Yeah. So when I was 20 years old, I was like close to 400 pounds. So I oh my god. I, well, probably like three. I always say 360 because when I first started losing weight, I was uh, didn't want to step on a scale. <laughs> so I finally stepped on a scale after I had lost like a, quite a bit, and I saw like 340, and I was like, oh, I probably lost like 20 pounds. Um, but then I've like talked to other people, like my mom and stuff, and she was just like, I think you were bigger than 360. But I've said 360 since I started everything, so I'm not I'm not gonna like change my high weight because you can't really do that. So um, yeah, I always say like, 360. I don't know. I feel like it would be weird if I've always said I was 360 pounds, and then all of a sudden, like someone comes back after a year, and I'm saying, "Yeah, I was 400 pounds." They'd be like, "Wait, what? How did you get heavier at one point?" Like, you know? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I think you know if you if you understand things to be different, it's cool to change your mind, you know. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it sounds like maybe you're concerned about what other people think and how you're viewed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Just check in the Discord server. And, and so what, do you, what, do you, what would you like to be called? Uh, just call me John. John, okay. And, and yeah. John, um, so I don't know how familiar you are. So, John, can you just tell us a little bit about, uh, I understand you have a pretty prominent YouTube channel? Yeah, so... <laughs> uh, I, so I do have a YouTube channel. I have like a YouTube channel, Instagram, all that stuff. So uh, I started the YouTube channel like after I had lost most of my weight. And it was just a place for me to kind of – so I had the Instagram first. And I was getting a lot of questions that I couldn't really answer on Instagram. This was like before Instagram even had stories or videos or anything, right? It was only photos. Mm -hmm. And then so I was like I had a, a lot of people that would ask me questions and that I couldn't really answer just through, you know, kind of – Sure. taking a picture and me writing a caption because I hate writing. Uh, and so I was like, you know, I want to start a YouTube channel. And uh, I ended up kind of just starting that just kind of to give people the, the like give answers that people had questions to give. Yeah, give answers. That doesn't make any yeah. sense. But um, and then so I started off like I wanted to do full day of eating videos to kind of show people what I was eating and then uh, like a transformation video. And then so the way that it kind of took off and the way that um, I was able to become a YouTuber uh, was I actually had a video that went really viral. It was uh, about my loose skin. So when you have a lot of weight to lose and you lose a lot of weight, you're left with loose skin. And so I shared a video. It was called My Biggest Insecurity, um, where I kind of, you know, took my shirt off and showed people what my loose skin looked like. And uh, that video just ended up like going viral. And it, I mean, it completely changed like, that video. And then what I was able to do from that video, like completely changed like the tra trajectory of, of my life. Um, and so since then I've just been, um, pretty much like making, making videos and streaming and, do, you know, just being a content creator, I guess. Yeah. Can you help me understand a little bit about, um, so actually let me just take a step back. So John, are you kind of familiar with what we do or do you want a quick intro? Oh no, no, no. I'm very familiar. I okay. was, I, <laughs> I reached out to you guys cause I was just like, wow, I've, I've watched a lot of the videos on okay. YouTube cause that's where I, um, am like, that's where I consume a lot of content. And so I was sure. just like. 
I, selfishly, I was like, this would be great to talk to Dr. K. And then yeah, I didn't so, think anything would happen and it, it worked out. So I'm uh, very awesome, man. So, so let's just talk about that. So, you know, what would you like to talk about and, and how can I help or be of service to you today? So the, the first reason that I reached out was, or the, the, so this is what was kind of going through my mind. I felt like it was a little selfish for me to, this is just how I am. I felt like it was a little, and I was like, Hey, I want, I would love to talk about the things that I struggle with. Right. And so in my head, I was like, okay, (laughs) how can I make this sound better? So I was like, I think it would be interesting, um, talk about like the connection of like mental health and physical health, because I personally have, um, you know, dealt with like improving my physical health quite a bit. And I know like, cause I speak to a lot of people that are trying to, you know, lose weight, improve their physical health. And they are also struggling with like mental health. And I think a lot of people, they think that if they improve their, their weight or their physical health, they think that it's going to be like, it's going to fix their, their mental health. Um, and I, I thought that would be interesting to kind of talk to you about. And then for myself personally, like I struggle with um, a lot of the stuff that I've, I've watched. I mean, the reason I knew that you've, I even knew about you is because I struggle with these things and therefore I was watching videos. Right. So like anxiety and um, like, depression i i guess you could call it that at some at some points um and then i think another thing that i struggle with which i i know you've talked about um before is like imposter syndrome um and so like uh, uh, those are probably like the main things i would say that i that i struggle with for sure okay cool so let me just can i just uh repeat back what i heard john so um you were hoping to come on to sort of see if, if maybe I could help you. But then I also get the sense that you felt like maybe that was a little bit selfish and that yeah. you, you wanted to kind of cover things that can be more applicable to other people. And so talking a little bit more about the mind body connection and stuff like that, um, which I think is, I think all that stuff is fantastic. So just a, a couple of thoughts, uh, just like a response, John, first of all, I think it's totally cool for you to be selfish, man. So mm. I, I think that, that this channel is what it is because, we talk about one person's problems. It's not an abstract discussion. And, and I think that's actually what's really cool is that the problems that you think may be selfish for you to talk about are the very ones that I think will help other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, if you want to talk about mind-body stuff, that's actually, it's interesting because people sort of talk, you know, they, they think I'm an expert on like video games and social media and technology and stuff, which arguably I am. But really, my background is in mind-body medicine. I mean, that's what I've studied for about 15 years. Um, mm. So I'd love to talk about that just because, you know, I like to hear myself talk about things that I understand. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I would say that what I, tr- I really try to do, John, is like, I'm here to help you, man. And, and if it helps other people, fantastic. But it's, it's uh, um, you know, I think it's totally cool for us to just talk about you. Mm-hmm. And then I'll throw in mind-body stuff because you seem to be interested in that. So we'll roll that in cool. there. So All tell right. me, um, good to me, so you said anxiety, depression, and imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me what you mean by those terms? Yeah, I can do, try to do my best to explain it. So I, the way that I explain when I like have maybe an anxiety attack or a panic attack or what is, it feels like another person is taking over my body. And it's like, I have no control over the thoughts that they have. Um, like, and it's frustrating because I, the people that are closest to me are the people that I end up being like the meanest to or the coldest to. Oh, beautiful. Um, and the, 
like ever since I can remember, um, I've I've never been a like a loud person or like I never when I got angry I don't I don't lash out I just shut down like and it's been like this since I was uh I, I was a kid the one of the uh, I've 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 shared this experience with like my my channel and stuff before but there was one time where I was it was when I was younger I I got into an argument with my sister and she said something kind of like about my weight and then instead of like me and my sister's great but you know siblings but um we got into an argument and then she said that and instead of me like yelling back at her I just went to my room shut my door and I stayed in my room all day long like the rest of the day like this was middle of the day I stayed in my room until like midnight that night and then there's <laughs> there's a taco shop that was by my house when I was growing up that was open 24 7 Dope. so I walked to that taco shop I bought a, uh, a they're actually very good they're called uh, super nachos so they're basically like nachos with carne asada beans rice guacamole like anything you can, i live in san diego right so mexican food is like a really big thing here um and so i went and i got that and i ate the whole thing right like and it's like meant for four people like at least right and and I, i've been like that with my mom whenever we would get into arguments when i was younger i would shut down like it's just how i've always been and then now as i'm older like i can't really do that as much as i used to because i have other responsibilities so while I'm shutting down mentally, physically, I'm like, I have to try and do things still, but it's, I don't, it's just so strange. Cause it's like, when I'm out of that mode of anxiety or that, um, like that feeling, I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? Like, why was I doing, why was I acting that way? I, I just like, I like, I, that's why I say, I feel like someone else takes over my body yep. because then I get out of it. And then I'm just like, why was I? what was I so worried about? Like, or why was I acting? Like I'm, I'm like, disappointed in the way that I was acting. Sure. And then it, it ends up getting worse because of how disappointed I am in myself. I'll end up not saying sorry. I'll end up not talking to the person. I'll end up like pushing myself further back because I feel bad about how I was acting. And, and then it's like, Oh, it's been a day. It's been two days. Now it's too, it's, it's been too, too long late. for me to even like act out. Um, and then like with, I, like the depression kind of is linked in with that. Like, it's a very, um, like when I start feeling that way, especially if it's over an elongated period of time, it's like, it just adds and adds and adds. Um, yep. and then like with the, with the imposter stuff, I feel like that's, it's probably, I'm sure it's all connected, but it's a little bit less related because for me, like I have hundreds of thousands of people that follow me on all of my platforms. Right. And I am just a dude that lost weight. And so it's a lot of people will message me and think that I can like solve all their problems. And they, they think that I am like, I, I just struggle with being like, I've said it so many times when it comes to like, like the weight that I've lost and like what I've been able to do. Like, I'm not special in any way. Like I didn't, I don't have something special about me that made it. So, Hey, I can like, um, I was able to do this and no one else can. And you should definitely reach out to me. Cause I have all the answers. It's like, dude, I was just a normal guy. I was just a normal guy that was working minimum wage jobs. That was like, like I said, that's why I say like, I'm so thankful for what I do now because my future then was not very uh, bright. Like when I look back at it and so um, that kind of plays into it. And I think like another thing that I kind of struggle with and I think it's related to that is I, I can talk forever. So, um, but Keep going, bro. I, uh, I struggle with not feeling like I'm very smart. So growing up, um, I was in special ed my whole life. Um, and so like, I remember I went to college and I 
I went for like one year <laughs> and I was so bad. Like I, I was a music major and one of the classes I took, they were like, you have to know how to read music to be in this class. I don't know how to read music. And so I was just like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'll drop this one. And, um, and so like, that's another thing that has like followed me my whole life is feeling like I'm like I'm dumb. And so I think that goes into why like I have the imposter syndrome. Cause I'm like, why are people following me? I'm not smart enough to help anyone kind of thing. Like that's, again, those are the thoughts I have when I'm that person that's like anxious and stuff. But when I step back, I'm like, well, regardless of what, what, um, what, how many, how many, like how many diplomas I might have or whatever, like I've still been able to help this many people regardless of that. Like I know that, but again, like when I'm in that mode, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, okay. So, you know, sometimes I'm going to say beautiful to some things, but those things aren't beautiful. I, I think it's just, I, I'm, I'm, first of all, John, I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I, I think your, uh, you know, your ability to map out what your internal experience is, I think is like amazing. And I think this is unfortunately one of the consequences of, you know, being in your head a lot and suffering a lot. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and you can see that you're not actually in control. Um, and you just gave me so much that can, can I just try to collect my thoughts and think about a plan of attack for, for yes, how to approach yeah, this stuff? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I've got a couple of thoughts. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to just toss out maybe a, a map and then we can decide, you know, which direction you want to go. Okay. So, there are some things in your mind and we, we can explore the origins of those things. And then the second thing that we can do is we can explore how those things manifest and function in the present. And okay. what I mean by that is that like you become another person, right? So we can think about how does that work in the mind where you become another person? And so then that sort of begs this like interesting philosophical question of like, who are you if you become another person? And then like, what is the relationship between not just your body and your mind, but you and your body and your mind. Okay. So we can think about where that other person comes from. We can think about how that other person takes control. And then we can also think about what you do in response to that other person taking control, which isn't of itself a third person, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? There's the one who panics and loses confidence. And then there's the you who beats yourself up for not doing good enough. And the crazy thing is that's still not you. That's just another person who crops up. And then we can also think through a lot of the consequences of all of that stuff. So principles like, you know, why is it that we're meanest to the people closest to us? And that actually like the people that we love and care about the most are the ones that we, you know, sort of show our ugliest side to. Yeah. And then the last thing that we can kind of touch on is something about the imposter syndrome, which is just that, you know, all these people approach you and you say, I'm just a dude who lost weight. I'm not special in any way. And we can talk a little bit about that. Um, and, and John, I think oddly enough, that's the reason that they approach you in, in summary. I think because you do, you're so authentic that people reach out to you for help because you're an ordinary guy. And so if an ordinary guy can do it, they can do it too. But if you were superhuman, then it doesn't apply, right? Like it just doesn't apply. 
And so oddly enough, I think that's actually where your value really is. You kind of say, I'm nothing special. And I think absolutely you're nothing special. And that's what makes you priceless. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you've done it. And you were working minimum wage jobs and you did do one year of college and you weren't something like amazing and special. And that in and of itself is what's so fucking amazing about you. And that's why people reach out to you. So in a weird way, I'd say that there's there's some kind of embracing, which I think you know how to do. Um, it, it, there's some embracing of who you are, which is absolutely amazing. And at the same time, nothing special. That those contrary ideas in your mind can be held together. Um, and then the last thing that I just really appreciated is that, you, you know, you do actually share some stories about like your sister and stuff like that. And I think that kind of stuff really helps because it, it, it kind of gives us like not just abstract thinking, but like, this is actually the sequence of events. And then we can really understand what's going on inside you. Um, so any thoughts or responses to that? Any direction? No, I mean, I, I think that everything that you just said, I, I, I'm excited to talk about. And I, I think like, just as someone that's watched a lot of, of, of your content and stuff, like I, I do, I do fully acknowledge, and I'm sure that some of this, a lot of the stuff that happened in my past, which I've had a, a interesting, you know, childhood, um, definitely <laughs> affects me now. Like, sure. I, I know that for a fact. I just don't know how and to what extent. Right. Great. Like, I'm just not totally so, sure of, of how right so let's dig in man so tell me about your as you put it interesting past <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so growing up um my mom was my mom and dad were both drug addicts and so we actually were taken away when i say we i have i have a lot of siblings like seven or eight um but most of them are half and some of them i never met because like one of them his name's nick um he was given up as he was born and I've never met him. Right. And so like the, a lot of my siblings are like half siblings, but, um, growing up, like who I was with most in my full siblings are my brother, Jean and my sister, Evelyn. Okay. So it was us three that grew up with my mom and kind of my dad a little bit. Um, but when I was really young and I say, when I say young, I was like three or four, I think we were, we were taken away from them, um, from CPS child protective services and uh, because they were drug addicts and we were put into this place is called Polinsky here in San Diego. It's just like a foster care place. And then luckily, seriously, luckily, our uncle took us in, which is very strange because we're not very close with him. Because if, if he didn't take us in, we would have either one been like shipped off to other foster homes and maybe not kept together. Or we would have been um, shipped off to my grand grandmother who lives in um, Pennsylvania. So on the East Coast. And we would have... From what I understand, what my mom has told us, like, if that happened, we would have been there until my sister turned 18. Like, it would have been, there was no chance we could have went back with my mom. So, um, it's kind of a, a happy ending, though, because after about a year, we actually were put back with my mom, which does not happen very often with CPS, because my mom, actually, she went to a drug rehabilitation center. It was a church, um, and they have, like, a drug rehabilitation, like, thing that they do. It's called It was called Calvary Ranch. And she was able to get clean and she's been clean ever since then. So like, you know, and so it was, it, it is really wow. cool, but um, yeah. And, uh, and so do you, do you know what your mom, if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to answer this out of, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, respect for her privacy, but do you happen to know what substances she was using? Yeah, it was like meth for the most part. Like okay. Do you, meth. do you know if she was using while she was pregnant with you? Um, I honestly, I, 
I want to be surprised, but I I don't think I've ever even asked. I think it's like one of those things I was like, I don't really want to know if I want to know this. Okay, sure. Um, And And if I I ask something that's out of line, just let me know. Okay, John? I will, but I highly doubt there will be anything. I'm very open about all this stuff. Um, But yes, I will let you know. Um, So we ended up getting put back with her. um, But growing up, like then we were pretty much just with her. Um, And my dad was like kind of around. But then after about a few years, we ended up moving away from him it's an interesting family dynamic that we can go into, but like, we don't not like my dad. We're actually, I'm actually very close. Well, I'm close with him and his now basically wife and their whole family. Like we're a big mixed family now. Uh, But at the time uh, growing up, uh, we were just very poor, I guess you could call it. Like we just didn't have much money. Like my mom was working, um, you know, as like many, many, many hours. Um, And so therefore we just didn't have, like we were, we were on government housing, um, so it's called section eight here in California. And so we were on that and just like money was not something we had very much of. And so, uh, kind Sounds of growing rough. up. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, we had some, some tough times. We were, we were really lucky that some of the local churches around us would kind of, um, like take care of us around like certain holidays. Like we had, um, we had this place called sunshine Haven that every like Christmas they would come like, um, a day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, or like two days, and they would just drop off presents because, like, they would have people like donate them, and then they'd go to like families in need. I remember this is random, but like one year they they donated, they gave my mom a <laughs> a present and it was underwear, but they were like comically <laughs> large, and I just remember we all it was so funny. Like they were no joke, like this big, and it was. <laughs> uh, but um, so yeah, like growing up, and then and then you know, like I that's when I, I started gaining weight. Um, cause like, that was a huge part of like, of my like childhood was when I was about seven years old. And I remember like f- being frustrated because my family would eat the same foods as me, but none of them were getting as big as I was like, cause I was, I was like from seven years old up until I was 20, I just consistently gained. And it was like, it, be- it started like every year it was becoming more and more of an issue for me. Um, and and then in second grade was when I actually ended up being um, put in special ed or RSP, um, resource specialist program. Um, and then from from there on out, like I just I just remember like my mom tells this story, but like there would be times where I would come home from school and I would just be crying, like because I'd be trying to do the homework and like we're doing multiplication and like everyone just understands it. And I'm like, what is this? Like I had no idea what was going on. And I just, I don't know why I remember that, but like from that moment, I've always felt like I'm not good enough. Um, and like, I, there's something wrong with me kind of thing. Um, but I will say like all in all with all of that stuff that has happened, like that's why I'm so thankful of where I am now, because like, if we, if we were to talk about where you should be, like, I should not be where I am now, at least in my mind um with like the background that I have and so that's why I'm so like thankful and I I try my best to um foster I guess my community or foster what I have as best as I can um because I know that I just I feel like I know where I would be if I didn't have it okay John your story is incredibly rich man (laughs) Seriously, it is just, there's so many. Well, it's different... more poor than it is rich, but I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, fair, fair point. 
Um, no, but I, I mean, a good one, to be honest. It's not stupid. It's <laughs> actually brilliant. Um, but, uh, you know, there's just there's so much here. And this is going to be tough, my dude. I, I think I think um, I, I already sort of see a, a road forward for you, but I, I think it's going to be a little bit challenging. And I, I just want to sketch this out a little bit. OK. Um, so when you say I shouldn't be where I am today. That implies so much gratitude, right? Mm. And you kind of say, I'm lucky. Like you talk about your uncle and, and stuff like that. Um, and so the, the tricky thing there is that like being grateful for, for, for where you are and, and feeling lucky is like, that's a good thing, right? We, we like, we respect people for that. We, we prioritize people for that. Um, but there's, there's actually like a, a tricky underbelly, which maybe exists here. And I, I suspect maybe it does. And I think this manifests in, in some other ways, which is that. You know, if you if you don't deserve to be, I mean, if you shouldn't be where you are today, then in a sense, you don't deserve it. Mm. Right. And if we if we really tunnel down on this is where things get really subtle, because if you don't deserve it, that sort of implies a certain value about you as a human being. Whereas there's a part of me that tells you actually like that, that wants to say to you, John, you absolutely deserve everything that you have, man. In fact, you deserve so much more than you have. That sure, you can be lucky and grateful, but actually at the end of the day, if you look at what you deserve and what you're worth, it's way more than what you have. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? And it's hard because somewhere along the way, like you started to consider yourself lucky that you got to live with your mom and like, it's wonderful that you have that gratitude. But at the end of the day, that's not lucky, bro. Your life is filled with bad beats. Mm. Right? And, and really what you deserve is like way more. Like you, do, you don't deserve, like it's wonderful that you're grateful, but like you've got to be really careful because there's something really subtle here, which is that underneath the positivity is this underlying belief that if you're lucky, then you didn't deserve it. And if we kind of go back to the heart of the imposter syndrome, I think that has to do with like this fundamental idea that like you don't deserve this. Right. And if we really it, it gets tricky. So we'll dig into that a little bit more. Does that make sense? No. Yeah. I mean, I think that. Well, yeah. One hundred percent. I think I think that there's it's kind of like I mean, in layman's terms is what my mind is thinking is like too much of a good thing. Like there's such thing as that, right? Being grateful sometimes can be like Absolutely. you turn it into being like I don't deserve, which I I don't think that that in the end is going to be a net positive. If that's because that's that is kind of where my mind ends up going when I go down that road. Yeah, right. So and and that's that's and I think it manifests in kind of weird ways. Like I think that um, what I'm not hearing a whole lot of you. So it's funny because people who come on stream, either I hear too much anger from them or I hear not enough. Mm hmm. And and I, I think there's something about retreating and and the, I'm I'm getting the vibe of anger that is manifesting in different ways. Like it's like anger, at, you know. There's a, there's a lot of injustice in your story, actually. And I think sometimes we kind of look at ourselves and we say like, what's the point of like 
bitching about injustice and how unlucky we are. Mm-hmm. And and that sort of makes sense because I think a lot of times that too can be too much of a bad thing. And then it, it kind of, you know, we, we're just complaining all the time. And so I think you've learned how to be incredibly positive, how to pick yourself up by your bootstraps, how to, you know, I, I think it's clear that you've gone from obese to beast. And the interesting thing is that that journey actually, I, I get the sense that you've pushed a part of yourself off to the side. Mm. And then you have this like, little boy in the basement, like this seven-year-old fat kid who doesn't know how to do multiplication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then every once in a while, like something happens and the fat kid comes out of the basement and that's how you feel, right? Like even I, I would venture when you, when that other person takes you over, you're not even an adult. I mean, I, yeah, I feel like I'm being a child is like, it, cause you are being I'm a child. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you are, and that's not an un, and and this is the really tricky thing, John. Boy, dude, this is going to be tough, bro. Because because I, I, what I what I would love to help you do is to not discount the fact that you are behaving like a child because you are because that's what mm. happens. And we'll talk about the mechanism of what's happening in your mind. But for you to acknowledge that you are behaving like a child and that you deserve to do so, mm. right? Because when you when you beat up that seven year old kid, what does he do? He goes he, he eats a plate of super nachos. <laughs> yeah and then you know goes into the basement and you push him in and then like he comes out again and he's gained five pounds mm-hmm. and then over time despite all of your successes you've taken all of your negativity and you've kind of like condensed it into this one thing that pops out of the surface every now and then mm-hmm. and so it's kind of like I, I don't doubt that you've grown and it's clear that you know i mean you've grown immensely john and i think this is the real challenge is that, you know, I think you've picked a lot of the low-hanging fruit. So your growth now, the the more pure you become, the more subtle the growth that you have to do. And actually, the harder it becomes. Right? If I have, like, a really dirty table, I can just take one swipe of a cloth and do a lot of cleaning. But if I mm. only have one speck of dust left, I really have to look really, really hard. And, and I'm laying the foundation for a couple of principles that ex- I'll explain later about mind-body stuff. Um, but any thoughts about that? No, I mean, I, I think it all, it all makes sense. Um, it's, I, it's interesting. Um, like the thing that kind of stuck out to me, uh, the, like the one thing that when, when you said it, I was like, oh, interesting. I would have never thought that was like, you were acting like a, and you deserve to do that. In my mind, it just, it's this feeling of no, like, don't act like that. You need to, like, I beat myself up, right? Like when I'm acting that way. And then that's what it, it turns into this cycle that I was explaining. And then I don't reach out to the person. And then it's like, you know, so I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second, right? Because I said, that's actually a third person. There's John, mm-hmm. there's the seven-year-old fat kid. And then there's the kid who beats up the seven-year-old fat kid. Your mm-hmm. first step forward, and this is the problem that a lot of people run into is they think my problem is the seven-year-old. Does it hurt your feelings when I say seven-year-old fat kid? Not or, at all. Is that insensitive? Okay. <laughs> Um, no, it's fine. So, so I, and I think the problem is that everyone looks and they say, oh, the problem is that the seven-year-old fat kid keeps on coming out of the basement. And they say, that's the part of me that I want to change. And the reason that they stay stuck is because that's not actually what you need to change. You need to change before that. You need to change the bully that lives within you. 
And once you change the bully, then you'll be able to deal with the fat kid. But the real problem is like, you know, the, the fat kid's a little bit of a distraction. And so now, yeah. now the next question is, is, you know, where did you learn how to judge yourself that way? Like, like it, it's this judgment, I think, that we actually need to start with. And so can you tell me, you know, did other people judge you growing up? Like, like, let's talk, talk to me about judgment because you're so good at telling me stories. Like, tell me stories, bro. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Like, where did I learn about judgment? I think like just growing up and feeling like I was, you know, feeling like I was poor. And so like always trying to prove to people that I was maybe worth like being like a friend of theirs, you know, like. Uh, I remember in, in junior high, I remember like there was this group of friends, like, cause like growing up, I was really big into church. Um, Mm. and there was this group of friends that I had in junior high that I was like, I knew I should not be hanging out with these kids. Like I, I knew as far, as far as what my morals were, like they were, they were like Uh. people that were like already, already smoking a lot of pot. They're already like talking about drugs all the time. Like all this stuff that I personally like was not into and I didn't want to get into it but they were cool like they were the cool kids in school and so the fact that they wanted me to be a friend um I was like okay well that that makes me cool then and I just I remember like there'd be a lot of times where I would just like one thing that I really really did a lot in junior high and in high school and I'm not sure if this is answering your question but this is just what came to my mind is I was very good at making fun of myself and so I hated, hated, hated if someone made fun of me. Like, I did not like that. So I, I was very lucky. Okay, it was a double-edged sword. I was very lucky because I didn't have a lot of people make fun of me. But the reason was because I made fun of myself so much. And I've, I've talked about this kind of before. Is like, so I would, I would put on this mask of I'm the funny fat guy. Like, this is what I would call me. I'm the funny fat guy. I, 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 have, a, I have a tattoo on my calf of a cupcake. Because my name in high school was Cupcake. Like, everyone called me that. And, like, the reason I got that nickname was because there was a group of people that were trying to be mean to me and make fun of me and call me Cupcake because I was fat. And so I was like, I like that name. And I, I internalized it. And, I, like, when I graduated, they said John David Cupcake Glod. Like, it was like everyone knew me as Cupcake in my high school, right? And so I had this, like, mask on of I'm the funny fat guy. Like, no, no one would make fun of me because I was always doing it all the time and so it was like the reason i say it was a double-edged sword was because yes no one made fun of me but i also felt like i was garbage like i felt like because of how much i would make fun of myself and how much i was a joke i started to just believe you are a joke like you're not worth anything like you're worthless right that's something that i like when i'm in that mode that i was telling about like that's the first thing that comes into my mind is you're worthless like it just pops up and like i'll i'll be like like I say, when I, when I say that I, um, the people that are closest to me get the most of it, like I'll be texting my girlfriend and all of a sudden it's just, I'm worthless. I'm a piece of crap. I'm garbage. And it's like, and I'm like, what? it doesn't make any sense looking back, but in the moment it's like, why does it make true. any sense looking back? Because like the John that we see now, I guess you said, you said there's like three different people, right? The John looking back is like, you are like, you've done so much. Like you've, you've been through so many things and you've been able to get through them and you, you've been able to help so many people out. Like that's obviously not true, but it's like when I'm in that mode, nothing anyone says like any, no matter how much I care about you, no, 
it doesn't matter. Like it just like I've 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 seen other people explain it this way. Like I feel numb is like there's just it doesn't matter what anyone says. I am. This is what I am. And it's the truth. And then it might be I wake up the next morning and I look back and I'm like, okay, that's definitely not true. Or sometimes it'll happen during the day. And all of a sudden kind of like I don't know what starts happening, but it's like I can start to see I get so hyper focused on these thoughts and then I start to be able to not be so focused on them and think about other things. And and then I'm like, okay, like that's not that's not true. Um, Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) Answers so much, but I have so many more. (laughs) so so i'm gonna say something a little bit provocative but i think it's important to tease apart what you're saying okay so when you say looking back it's just not true i actually disagree with that okay i think looking at the now it's not true but when you look into your past you know 14 year old cupcake it was absolutely true Right. So, so this is the first thing you've got to understand, John, some of the things in our mind, and maybe I need to just take a step back and explain some concepts like teach, but some of the things in our mind. So if we think about like PTSD, for example, okay. So people have flashbacks. So like what happens in a flashback? So let's say that I'm, you know, I'm in a war and then like I experience like a combat situation where like one of my friends gets, you know, blown up by like a missile. Like, you know, I use a drastic example because I'm thinking about a particular person who exemplified this. And then what happens is like when I'm walking down the street, if there's a loud bang, what happens in my mind? Hmm. So my mind transports me to that point in the past. Right. And then like I have this thing called a flashback. Where like I, I lose sight of where I am. I lose sight of who I am. I can be 70 years old. And have been in the Vietnam War when I was 25. And when I hear a bang, I get transported. I become that 25-year-old self. I don't become a grandfather who, you know, has lived so much. I'm like a scared kid in like the jungles of Vietnam where my friend just died in front of my eyes. That's what I've become. And so if if we stop and think about that, like, hold on a second. Like, that's weird, right? So the first thing that we've got to acknowledge is that our mind and our brain has the capacity to transport us into the past. And this is the problem, is that I think part of the reason you're stuck is because you try to tell yourself that you're not worthless, but you feel like you are worthless. And so so there's like this conflict where you're like fighting against yourself. When you fight against yourself, you're not going to win. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of weird. So so I, I think in a bizarre way, like what you need to do is like actually accept that you were worthless. And this mm-hmm. is this is the, your road forward is like not to say you weren't worthless because that's how you felt. It, it's that you were worthless and that's OK. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if I think about it, I was just talking to to someone about this recently, but. You know, if we think about what you need to do for yourself, John, it's like like when you call yourself worthless, like that's you judging yourself. And then there's even like a fourth reaction of, and let me know if I lose you here, which is that you beat yourself up for calling yourself worthless. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how far you go down the road, it's always you beating yourself up, even though it is cloaked in positivity. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. A- and so... 
so like, you know, there's a part of me that says like, you know, if I had to transport back in time to Cupcake, my message to Cupcake is not, you know, you're a beautiful person and, and like, there's nothing wrong with you or anything like that. That's actually not my message to him because I don't think that that's a fair message. My message to him is, hey man, you got like, I know you're struggling right now. I know you're overweight. I know a lot of people make fun of you and you make fun of yourself, but I don't think, I don't agree with them. I know you feel that way, but you won't be this way forever. Mm-hmm. And that if you work at it, you can grow and you can change. But right now, I have no doubt that you feel absolutely worthless because you don't get good grades. Kids make fun of you. You make fun of yourself and you're overweight. So I see why you feel worthless because you look around and you don't see any value. I know it's in there. You've just got to work to go from obese to beast, right? And even then, like, I think that your answer is actually in your name because you don't say beast always. You are not always, <laughs> right? And, and, and so, so it's actually beautiful because I think what resonates, John, with like other people and what makes you not an imposter is that in your name, you own the obeseness. You own it. But when you start beating yourself up and you start feeling that way, it's like beast back to obese in your mind. But like, that's okay. You've got to own like you're, you're the spectrum, right? You've got to balance like the confidence that you have. It's not about like one winning over the other. It's like balancing both of those things together. Does that make sense? Yeah. What What are you hearing? Like, I can't, like, if I, if I, I have to, I guess what I'm hearing is like, you have to live in that moment. It's sometimes like, you can't, like, I'm beating myself up for, like, I'm telling myself I'm worthless. So that's in turn, obviously that's beating myself up. But then I am also beating myself up after the fact, because I am saying, why would you say that? That's not true. So now I'm like beating myself up. That's stupid. And you're being stupid and you're being childish. There, being there, this, right? there it is. Right. So it's the same yeah. thing. It, yeah. It's just layers and layers and layers and layers of the same complex, which is that John, you're not good enough. Mm. Even when you are trying to be positive towards yourself, that's actually negative. Does that make sense? You're like, you've accomplished yeah. so much. Why are you so dumb that you can't see it? Yeah. You're still calling yourself dumb. It's the same fucking thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, and so, so, so it, that's what needs to change. And the way that we start changing that is to, is to think a little bit about like, you know, to say that, okay, I, I, I sometimes I feel worthless. Like that's cool. Right. Just because I feel that way. And because even, I know this sounds crazy. Even if I am that way right now, it doesn't have to be that way forever because that's a statement you can get behind, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you find yourself retreating from your friends and your family and girlfriend and whatnot, you can say, okay, sometimes I've got to retreat because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've grown in a lot of ways. I haven't quite grown in this. And just because you haven't learned it yet, John, uh, ballpark of how old you are? Uh, I'm about to be 28 in a few days. (laughs) Okay, cool. So, like, you just think about that, right? Like, think about where you were when you were 18. Mm -hmm. Where you were five years ago. You've accomplished so much in the last five to ten years. 
and you've got at least 40 good years ahead of you. And so you may feel worthless now and you may beat yourself up, but you can learn how to not beat yourself up over the next decade. It's totally cool to beat yourself up. Give yourself some time, give yourself some space, you know, and, and like you've, you've made one transformation in your body and for the next decade of your life, you're going to focus on a transformation of mind. Mm-hmm. And you have to accept that you're overweight, like, right? Like you have to start with the yeah. acceptance that you are overweight. And so I think you can also start with the acceptance that mentally, like you do things to yourself, which are not ideal, but that's actually okay. Right, because yeah. you've got you've I, got the beast working with you. Yeah, <laughs> I think like just for me to help me kind of process this, the way I like what I'm hearing and like what wh- what I'm hearing is so I get a lot of people that will ask me, uh, I want to lose weight and I want it like I want to lose fifty pounds in a month or whatever, and I always have to say it it takes time, like it's not going to happen overnight, and so I have internal like I believe that right. But I think with the stuff that we're talking about, I get frustrated that I, I'm like that person that's asking me the question to you. It's like, fix me right now. I would like to have everything figured out. And, and I'm like, when they're asking me, I'm like, yo, that's not going to, this doesn't work like that. It's going to take a long time. And I am, it's funny because I'm like being that person to you almost. Sure. It's like, how can I fix this right now? And then you're just like, it's going to take a while, man. So yeah. it's interesting to hear. Yeah, so so I think it's interesting that that's what you took away. And and I think that actually demonstrates to me that you understand it already. Mm. Right? So I I think that that what you need to do is like just like you encourage those other people to give themselves time and be patient with themselves, give yourself time and be patient with this. Mm. Um Yeah, that's 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 very well said, John. Let me just think. Any questions? Not really. I mean, I'm sure I'll have some stuff when we're towards the end, but right now I'm kind of enjoying kind of working through it. Okay. And, yeah. So um, let me just think for a second about where to go from here. Okay. So we can, we can do a couple of things. Either we can dig further. Let me just teach you a couple of things, actually, okay? okay? And then you tell me what you're interested in. So let's talk about the mind-body connection for a minute. So the first thing is that, um, you know, I think there's a part of you that feels stupid, right? So like the part that couldn't do multiplication, the part that couldn't um, read music, and and maybe this makes you feel like an imposter. So let me just start by saying, John, I, I think that we have this idea that some people are smart and some people are stupid. But what I really like from Eastern medicine is that they say that there are different kinds of minds, right? Just like there are different colors of hair, they're like different kinds of minds. And some minds aren't great at like book smarts. And some minds are not designed to sit in a classroom for like eight hours a day and like look at a textbook. It doesn't mean that they're stupid. It just means that your mind is different. And I think that like, so one of my teachers explained this to me, like there are some people who are hunters and some people who are farmers. And the farmer mind like likes to wake up at the same time every day, likes to sit in their chair, read their book, like, like routine, like everything's the same, like. I don't like disruptions. I can just, I love multiplication. I love reading music. I love anything on a page. 
that I can read and no one bothers me. And then there are hunters and hunters are like, I'm not going to sit around and like sow seeds every day. I want to be out in the wilderness. I want to be looking around. I want to absorb a lot of stimuli. I want to integrate a lot of stimuli. I want to make a lot of decisions with a lot of uncertainty. Like, which way do I go? Is this dangerous? Is this not dangerous? It's just different kinds of minds. Hmm. And, and I don't know. I mean, do, do either of those mindsets resonate with you? I mean, the, the hunter one definitely is, is where, it's it's interesting because there's like parts of each i guess um so for me like routine is like it's very important to me like i when i when i am thrown off of my routine that is definitely like i've noticed that's a trigger of my anxiety like it definitely can make me anxious but at the same time like i I, when i was a kid i was like diagnosed with add and like i took ritalin for a little bit um and so i'm definitely very like i like to to do things though like i like to um like i can't just do one thing forever like i'm I'm sure you've noticed like i i'm always fidgeting i'm always messing with something it's just how i am um and so it's interesting but i would say i i I probably would lean more towards like the hunter in that um explanation i guess yeah so so it's it's not they're not mutually exclusive first of all and they're Mm -hmm. actually are three not two so it's like a three-dimensional thing um but I think, you know, just one thing to that I would encourage you to just kind of potentially reconceptualize your upbringing is that like, um, and I wouldn't quite go as far as to say that you weren't book smart. I think you just, you probably needed a more dynamic learning environment or mm-hmm. frankly, just more like one-on-one attention. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's an interesting kind of statistic. It's a little bit, ex- I'm extrapolating a little bit, but basically what we find is that kids who are the less attention an individual child has the more likely they are to be diagnosed with adhd so growing up it sounds like you were in a single parent household with with two siblings and and so what i what i find frankly as a clinician is that there are some kids who are highly highly dynamic and actually incredibly smart and whether they go down the path of special needs and adhd or not has nothing to do with like their intellect. It has everything to do with the amount of individual attention that they can get. Mm-hmm. And if you can have, because actually what happens with, with really smart kids is they get bored easily in class, right? And then they start to fidget. Whereas if you have someone who can engage them in kind of a dynamic way, the kid is going to be like awesome. Like they're going to be mm-hmm. fantastic. You'll let their brilliance like kind of flourish. They just need a different kind of soil. Mm. And what I'm hearing from you is that probably the most likely thing is that you weren't given the right kind of soil that you needed to grow. And now I think part of the reason that you're so successful is because you figured out, oh, like minimum wage job is not going to be, I'm not the guy who gets like minimum wage job and then becomes a manager and then becomes a VP and that like you'd fucking F that shit, right? It's like a little bit of YouTube video, a little bit of physical activity. I'm going to cook this today. I'm going to take these pictures for Instagram. I'm going to answer some questions. You're like a hunter. You're like out there and you're like, oh, there's a track over here. What is this? I smell something over here. Oh, there's some like, you know, poop over there. Like you're, you're kind of integrating a bunch of information. And I think that's just the fertile soil that you need. Um, And I, I think for a lot of people out there, like this is important to remember is that like, if you got diagnosed and you felt dumb. It's not so much that you were dumb or that you're mentally ill. It's just that like there's a different kind of environment that that child needs to thrive. Um, any thoughts about that? No, I mean, 
I, I, I agree. And I think that, I mean, there were things that, um, my, like the teachers would try and do when I was in, in school. Like there was, uh, I also have like dysgraphia. So like my handwriting is absolutely so bad. Um, so they would like try, it sucks cause my handwriting is really bad, but I'm also an unbelievably slow at typing. Like I, I type like 20 to 30 words a minute. Like it's really bad, but they ended up giving me this like little, it was just before like computers and laptops were like, people had them. So it was this little like machine that they had, that they would give me so I could type instead of try and write. And I remember like, I knew that they were trying to give me this thing to help, but I remember it felt like it made things harder for me. And then I was like, even this help that they're trying to give me is making me feel worse. Right. Yep. Um, and I just, I remember feeling like, ugh, like, I mean, this is when I was like young, I was, in, I was, I was in like elementary school at this time. And, uh, and then there were like, I remember there were things where they would have like a person come in and grab me, um, I'm not sure if this was to do with my learning disability or if it was like home stuff because of the drugs, but they would like bring me into a room where it was just me and this person. And it was like during math class, like math class when I was really young and they would bring me in there and then we would do different types of math. So we would like work with blocks or work with like, you know what I mean? Like, and it would be one-on-one -on -one instead of just like the, the class. Um, I remember that, but I, I do remember at that whole little typing thing, and feeling like this is supposed to help and it's not helping made me feel like, well, you're just kind of a lost cause when I was like, you know, in like super, super young. Yep. And I remember that being like tough for me. Yeah. So let's think about that for a second, John. Once again, wonderful. Dude, the way your mind forms connections is really amazing. And you're just a fantastic storyteller. <laughs> so so let me ask <laughs> you something, John. Think about the way that you felt when they gave you that typing machine and it like still didn't help. And how you feel when you have a panic attack. Oh, it's it's exactly the same, man. Like it's 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 so much the same that I remember I recently was like telling people I was in my Discord and I was like, hey, you know, I want I'm trying to work on my typing. And I like sh I shared out like where I'm at and it was like 30 minutes. <laughs> it made me like it, it made me cry and I'm like tearing up thinking about it because people started like sharing. <clears throat> it's so silly. Uh, people started sharing their how fast they were and they were like how are you so slow that's ridiculous and I just remember I just felt like the kid again and I just shrunk back and I was just like I don't and it made me because I like to share a lot but then at the same time like sometimes when I share stuff people will say that stuff and I know that they weren't trying to mean of course they're not but it made me feel so small and it was like I am that I am the same, like nothing has changed. Like it makes me feel like nothing has changed and I'm still that person. And I just remember like, honestly, like you were saying there was anger. I was mad. Like I was mad at those people and I wanted to like ban them or I wanted to like reply. And I was kind of saucy a little bit, but like, I wanted to be like, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't understand how hard this is for me. But I was just like, I'm not going to do that. Like it's, it's not like I tried to take a step back and be like, okay, let's think rationally here. They're not trying to be mean to you. Like you are, this is your perception of the situation. But I just remember like that little thing, man, like it really messed with me. It really it messed with, it just made, it made me feel stupid is the, Absolutely. is like the most, so is the easiest way to kind of explain it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, once again, a beautiful insight into a, you know, a painful thing, John, because I, I think the the takeaway there is like, once again, what you're feeling, John, is not you it's an echo 
Mm. right? That hurt you carry with you because it's never been processed. And if you want to be free of it, you have to like process it. So let me ask you this. How did you feel towards the people who brought you the typing machine? I think initially I felt special because it was like, wow, this is like, again, it was before there was a lot of stuff like that out there. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I have this cool thing. But then it started to feel almost like a scarlet letter um, because everyone else is writing and I have this machine. But then I felt like, okay, my teachers now are probably going to think, okay, he's going to do better. But I was so unbelievably slow at it that it was like this machine that they gave me to help is making me i feel like it's making me feel worse so at at the start it felt nice because i felt special but then it felt i just started to feel worse and worse and worse because and then it was like i I wanted to prove to these people that i like i should have this but i just and so it just became like this kind of thing of shame that i had eventually i just stopped using it because i was like well this isn't helping me at all okay how many other people when they graduated had a nickname read out no one. <laughs> There's your scarlet letter. So, so like I was yep. saying, uh, you know, just to recap, you had sort of said that you felt like I'd asked you about the, um, I'd asked you about, you know, what it felt like to ha- have the, the typewriter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of felt like they labeled you with something different. And you had a scarlet letter. And then I'd ask the question for people who missed it. Um, you know, how many people had a nickname when they graduated? And then you'd said none. Um, and I, I think that's just an example of you solidifying your isolation from the rest of the world, right? And you kind of owning that part. But at the end of the day, you're still isolating yourself. And I think that part of, you know, I... I'd imagine that when you feel worthless, when you have that kind of panic attack, you also feel incredibly, incredibly isolated. Oh, yeah. 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 And that no one understands you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those feelings or, or explain those or just share with us what it feels like when you have these panic attacks? Yeah, I can try. Um, it feels... Like I said, it, like there's this numbness where it's like no matter what anyone says to me, no matter any, it just doesn't matter. Like I can, like I said, I struggle with being still and like not, you know, like my ADD. But like when I'm in this mode, I can be dead still, staring at a wall for an hour, not even thinking about it. Like I don't. It, it's this crazy feeling of like I just feel like nothing matters. Like nothing matters. No, nothing anyone says matters. And, um, I just start all end up, I guess the, I've heard the word catastrophizing. So like, I feel like I'll end up trying to find the worst things, things that can make me feel the worst. And then I focus on those things. And so like, I'm intentionally being, I'll intentionally be really mean to myself. And this is where I say, like, I'm mean to other people because, again, obviously, if I'm close to someone and they know this is going on, they're trying to reach out and help. My, my girlfriend is the person that comes to mind. And I'm just, like, super dismissive. And I'm just, like, I'm this. I'm worthless. I'm a piece of garbage. Like, I'll say these things that are just so mean. Like, that, you know, if someone were to say it to me, I'd be like, screw you, man. Like, what are you talking about? But, like, I have no problem saying it 
to myself. And, but I would say like the thing that it's like the world kind of like, I don't know if you had the, um, the new AirPods, but like uh, the new AirPods are noise canceling. You put them in and they make like this, like is what it feels like. That's how I feel like the world. That's what I feel like happens to the world when I'm having those feelings. Like I can almost like hear that sound and then the noise cancellation is there. And, but instead of noise cancellation, it's like world cancellation where anything else that's going on doesn't matter. Uh, like there could be bombs going off next door and I'm like, I don't freaking care, you know? Yeah, John, honestly, it's bizarre, but this sounds to me like a, like when I've worked with people with PTSD and they have flashbacks, it sounds like a flashback, Mm -hmm. right? So, so I I worked with someone who's a teacher and then something happened in school and they like jumped under their desk, Mm. right? And like, they weren't in school anymore. Like the rest of the world disappears and they're like trapped in their own mind. Mm-hmm. and and that's honestly what it sounds like to me like you become sort of trapped within your own mind and it, it seems like a really dark place yeah i mean it can be in those i mean it, it certainly can be in those moments like that's why i said like i feel like i'm a different person because it's like my mind changes as well yep um there's only been like those happen i don't want to say they happen like super frequently it'll be maybe once a month or something like that i've only had one time where i genuinely felt like i was having a a, a panic attack um where i remember it was towards like the beginning of the beginning of quarantine um and i remember i i had injured my back doing a workout and so i was I was very like immobile at the time. And I know for me, working out is a, is a huge form of stress release for me. Like it, it, I've, I've noticed that for sure. Um, and so I was dealing with a back injury and I remember I, I was in the shower and then I remember thinking, wow, I'm like, it's like really hard to breathe right now. Like I'm like, something's kind of going on. Like my head feels kind of weird. And I remember I, uh, I ended up getting out of the shower and I got into my bed. I didn't, I didn't even like dry myself off. Cause I was like, I feel like really weird. And then I got into my bed and then I remember I was like, Oh, I think I might, I might, I think I'm going to throw up. So then I went back, I went back into the bathroom and laid by the toilet. And I, I remember just like, I felt like I was going to die. Like it really felt like I felt like I could, I could, the reason I brought it up, it was the beginning of quarantine was because I was like, I was like super stressed out about coronavirus. I was like, what's go- I could do? Am I like every day I felt like, I think I have it. I think I have it. And I would be like stressed out about it. So then I was like, I was like checking. I was like doing the whole thing where I'd like hold my breath and be like, oh, can I still breathe? And then I was like, I was super, super worried about that. And then I started like feeling like I could feel like my heartbeat in my ever everything. Like I just felt like my whole heart was beating. And I genuinely was like, I think I'm, I think I'm going to die right now. Like I was, I was seriously thought I was going to die. Um, and I remember I ended up like, I was just, la- I just laid in my bathroom for a while. And then I finally started to like, like I said, like the, the, the noise cancellation kind of started to lift and I could like stand up, but it was like, that's only happened to me one time, but it was like the scariest thing I think I've ever, I've ever been through. Um, but those like other moments that I've, I've talked about frequently, they happen, you know, like pretty frequently, I guess, like once a month, once every few weeks. Yeah. So John, thank you for sharing that. Just a couple of thoughts. So the first is that it sounds like it was quite profound and powerful of an experience. Yeah. And yet my preference would be to focus on the other ones because those happen more frequently. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. The other I thing just, that it just yeah. came to my mind. No, 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 I'm glad you shared it. The other thing that I would tell you is that really does sound like a panic attack. So yeah, that's, nothing, yeah. nothing you have said so far has made me think you need to uh, potentially an evaluation or treatment for mm -hmm. an actual like illness. Um, but I, I would say to you at this point that, you know, if, if that kind of thing continues to happen, you should absolutely go see a doctor about it. Yeah. Okay. So for people who don't know, just a real quick reason to go see a doctor is that, so one of the hallmarks of panic attacks is a sense of what they call impending doom. So people yeah. like actually <laughs> think yeah. that they're going to die. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's a strange thing to ask someone, but sometimes I'll ask people, do you have a sense of impending doom? And if people have panic attacks, they're like, fuck yeah, that's it. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, it's a sense of impending, like, this is real and I'm going to die now. And, mm. and that's what happens. And it's essentially a physiologic response, right? So like your, 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 your adrenaline is through the roof and things like that. And then all your danger circuitry lights up in your brain. And then like, this is the part of your brain that like warns you about death. And, and the problem is that normally that part of your brain only activates when there is impending death. Yeah. But what's happened is that our brain now lives in a society that we have not evolved to live in. And so sometimes that circuit of our like, oh shit, we're going to die circuit. That's the technical neuroscientific term. That circuit sometimes <laughs> activates inappropriately because it doesn't have like tigers and stuff to worry about. Yeah. So it activates in relation to like paying rent at the end of the month. And, mm -hmm. and other things like that. But if that continues, the, the reason that I'd really recommend that you get evaluated for it is because there are like treatments for that so that mm -hmm. you don't have to continue feeling that way. Um, yeah. What brings on the other episodes? Like the episodes that you say happen once a month where you feel really isolated. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so many things. Like it can be so many things. I think it's uh, like it was that that one moment I talked about with the keyboard, right? With the typewriting, mm -hmm. um, it's it's like moments where uh, I might be like talking to my my girlfriend, and she might I I feel so bad that it's it, she has to deal with it so often, but like she might say something like something little, and then I just start to I so okay. I mean, I, I feel bad that I'm sharing this, but um she'll say something about like an ex or a guy was like being weird to her at the gym. And that stuff like makes me feel like, I guess, I guess it is um, jealousy, which we've talked about. And she's like, you know, I'm jealous too. So it makes me feel a little bit better about it, but it's like, I and can then understand I start why to she would feel be jealous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like it, and, and so I start to feel like, okay, like someone's going to like be better and then that she's going to like them more. And then I start to feel this way. And then I start treating her um, poorly. You know what I mean? Not like I'm not being mean to her, but I'm just super shut off. And then I'm saying all of these thoughts that I was that I was explaining. I'm like, oh, I'm worthless, all this stuff. And then it like it's frustrating. Oh, man, we've dealt with we've dealt with this a few times. And that's why I'm getting so heated. Like it's frustrating because then, of course, she's like, well, I don't want to share a lot of stuff with you if it's going to make you feel this way. And then that makes me feel bad because she's right. And I'm like, well, if you don't feel like you can share things with me, what good am I as a boyfriend? And then like, that's happened a few times. Um, and I mean, there's, there honestly, like it could be almost anything if I'm in this, if I'm in the mood, I guess, or if I'm in a place where it might happen, 
anything really can trigger it. Like it, it can, it could genuinely be anything. I remember I was streaming one night and uh, a bunch of people came in and they spammed very not okay words. Um, and I remember I was freaked out. And then I started being like, you idiot, you should have made it so they couldn't have done that. Like you should have made it so that they couldn't join the discord and say all that stuff. Like this is your fault. And like, like I said, it, it can literally be anything that might make me feel kind of stupid, I guess, is the best way to explain it. Okay. So that that's useful. So let's talk about a couple of things, right? So one thing that sometimes happens when we feel bad about ourselves is we try to push people away. And it sounds like, you know, you try to push your girlfriend away and you're like, if you feel that way, I don't even know why you're with me. I'm a worthless piece of shit anyway. Just break up with me and be done with it. Mm -hmm. And it's like hearing him just like it's it it sucks to hear it but it's true like that's pretty much what i'll say like for lack of a better like pretty much almost exactly verbatim how i how i act yeah and it's like it's very embarrassing sharing this because this is definitely one of those things that i feel the most shame about i can share other stuff like i can show my loose skin and like all this stuff that people are like oh that like i've had people call it's like people will say oh your skin's disgusting that's so nasty and i'm like whatever i don't care but like this thing i'm just like oh it's just like it's like definitely something i feel the like i don't want to say the most shame of because i don't know but like i feel a lot of shame of yeah so john how do you feel sharing this now like what are you feeling in this moment this is we can work through this okay I'm feeling, well, the immediate reaction is I'm feeling relief um, because I, it makes me feel like I, I have to act less like I am like perfect, mm-hmm. you know? Cause like, I think something I struggle with is I think, and this is like the whole imposter thing is like, there are so many people that follow me and I want to be good for them. I want to be perfect. And like, I've explained um, this before. And like, I feel like there's a lot of times where I wear a mask. And then a lot of times people don't even like the mask that I'm wearing. So the, the thing that I put on to make people like me, people don't even like anyways. So now I feel like I'm kind of like mm. floating in this, like, just like, I'm just like, what, what even am I, you know? Yeah. I can't win. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I, I, I just like full transparency. I feel relieved, but also I feel worried that people are going to be like, that people man, are going to what? what the heck? are going to feel just like, are you kidding me, man? Like, geez, you really have some stuff to work on. And that, that scares me. Cause I think that, um, I, 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 that mask is still on to a certain extent. Like I want to be the, I know what I'm doing and I can help everyone, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like you're afraid of judgment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think in, interestingly enough, I think that that fear of judgment comes from you, right? Because you judge it. Yeah. And and it's because if we really pay attention, John, we can see that other people can judge you and even judge you harshly, but it doesn't stick unless you judge yourself in the same way. Yeah. Right? You feeling okay? Your voice has changed. Oh, no, no, no. I I fully agree. Sorry. Okay. No, no, no I, <laughs> I, I I'm just it's not anything you're doing wrong. Yeah, no, um, I'm not I'm not choked up yet. <laughs> okay. No, no, that's cool. I mean, we don't it's our goal is not to choke you up. I think this is oftentimes mm-hmm. it's a common misconception. Um Yeah. So, let's just talk about pushing people away for a second because I want to I want to try to help you understand that or at least my understanding of it. So, it's okay. interesting, right? Cuz when you push your girlfriend away and she doesn't break up with you, how do you feel? 
I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, um, but it definitely, like, joking, that's kind of sometimes how I feel. Because um, I'm always thinking, like, what are you trying to get out of this? Like, why, why are you st- sticking around? I think I struggle with that just in general, like with other people um, reaching out and being like, oh, you should like watch this video or do this. Like I made this, you should, you should check it out. I deal with that a lot. And so I'm always kind of constantly on guard of people feeling like people only want to be around me because they can get something out of that. Um, But then on top of that, I do feel this sense of um, security and feeling like, okay, well, she obviously definitely does care, right? Because holy crap if she didn't why would she stick around this um yeah so 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 that's i'm glad you can detect that because that's really an important thing and i'm glad you see it and know that already so john you're very insightful it's i I think it's it's cool um because i think we can cover a lot of ground so i i think so if we i want people to understand this too who are watching so part of the reason that we push people away is so that we can feel secure when they don't leave Right. So if I if I'm afraid of my value and I say, John, get the fuck out of here. And then despite all of my efforts to push you away, if you choose to stay, then I do feel secure. Yeah. So it's really tricky because like the harder you push her and the worse you feel about herself. Conversely, the more secure you're going to feel, even in sort of like a weird, convoluted, toxic way. Mm-hmm. because like it's like it's like you're challenging her to demonstrate her commitment to you yeah yeah exactly. and it, and it can be very damaging for relationships don't get me wrong but i i think part of what we have to understand is that i think like john most people in our mind just works like this like it does what it needs to to get what it needs and it sort of does the best that it can it's on a, in a bizarre way, like part of you pushing her away is like a way of you actually reassuring yourself that the things that you believe about yourself may not be true. Mm. That makes that completely makes sense. Right. Yeah. And so so the, the next question is, OK, so like, what do we do about it? And I, I think the first step is just that to like notice that you're doing this. Mm hmm. Right. To, to watch because now you're saying that you don't feel like you're in control. And now we kind of get to an interesting kind of like yogic part, which is that you have two parts. You have three parts of being. You have a physical body. You have a mental body or a mind. And then you have something like awareness or a soul. Like those terms are sort of interchangeably. What I mean by soul is you can talk about soul as something that persists beyond body and mind after death and all that stuff. But the point here is that even if you don't believe in any of that, you don't need to. What you can still acknowledge is that there is some part of awareness or self that exists outside of body and mind. Like if I can observe my hand, then I can, then I'm not my hand, right? Like this is not who I am. I am something outside of this. And then what we hear you say is that sometimes you are not your mind and that something takes control of your mind. But then that still means that you are not your mind. And and so the 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 key thing in terms of like making progress here is to focus on that thing and to even watch your mind get taken over by this thing. And it's almost like you start a movie and like the movie's got to play through to the end. Mm -hmm. 
You know, you're like boarding a train and you don't get to go off halfway. The train only goes from point A to point B. And so once you start to feel that vulnerability, the first thing you should do is just like watch it run its course that you're going to try to push her away and she's going to reassure you. And when she reassures you, there are going to be two things in your mind. One is like, what on earth are you thinking? I don't understand why you're trying to reassure me because I'm not worth it. Mm-hmm. And just watch that. And then the second thing is like deep down, you're actually going to start to feel secure and comforted because you don't feel like you're worth something. And when she treats you with affection in spite of you not deserving it, that can be really reassuring. Mm-hmm. So then that begs the question, and let me know if you have further questions, okay? Because I'm kind of in teaching mode now. So then that begs the question, why on earth does this continue to happen if we feel secure? Like you'd think that mm-hmm. if she feels, if she makes you feel secure, shouldn't it go away? And the problem here is that even though it makes you feel secure, it still reinforces the idea that you don't deserve her affection. Mm. And that's at the root of all of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no. And so each time it happens, even though you feel better because she makes you feel loved in spite of it, in spite of the fact that you don't deserve her love, because that can actually feel really amazing, right? That someone loves you and you don't even deserve it. And so that's Mm -hmm. why you do it. But the other really careful thing is that you're building up that machine that believes that you don't deserve love Mm. and this circles all the way back to this idea that you're lucky and you're grateful and whatever and if you just go back and you listen to everything that you're saying john ask yourself how many of these statements thoughts or feelings come from the idea that you don't deserve it that you're not good enough right you you Post something about your typing or whatever. And then people are like, mm. yeah, why are you so bad, bro? Okay. Like, why does that hurt? Because you don't feel like you're, you have value on the inside mm. and, and all this stuff around your girlfriend and like all of the stuff about, you know, it all comes back to value. Mm. Thoughts, questions about that? No, I mean, it all, it all makes sense. Like, I think that a lot of it definitely comes down to feeling like I said, like feeling like worthless or feeling like you don't, you don't deserve, like that's a big part of it is like, I don't feel like I deserve anything really, you know? And like, I, I think it like started from a good spot of like trying to not be selfish and like trying to not be like, I, you like, I deserve the world. Like, I don't want to be that person, you know, I want to be grateful and thankful, but I mean, it it goes back to almost like the very beginning of the talk where we were talking about that can be dangerous because then it's like, well, if you don't deserve anything, then what are you? Are you worthless? Like, and that's where my mind goes. Yep. And so I, I think it's, it's a tricky balance, right? So how do you, So so I think it comes down to kind of acceptance of of where you are and like, how can you be grateful for the things that you deserve, right? Because we think about like gratitude and deserving is like entitlement at opposite ends of the spectrum, but it's actually really simple, right? Like if um, if I go to a restaurant and I order food, I deserve that food. Mm -hmm. And yet I can still be really grateful that it tastes amazing. Yeah. Right. And, and so, and I can also be upset because, you know, I paid for like good food and you guys are giving me like microwave shit from yesterday. Yeah. I'm allowed to be upset at that and also like not be an asshole. 
Yeah. I can acknowledge that I actually deserve more than what I got. And then the cool thing is that now we get to a really tricky thing, John, is that I don't know if you can forgive anyone if they didn't do anything wrong. Mm. And if you didn't deserve anything, then no one did anything wrong to you. Yeah. Right? Mm. And so the the really tricky thing here is that I, I don't think you're living a life where you can actually like, like, I, I don't know if you've forgiven your mom. Yeah. You know, it's in, in, and we haven't really talked about it. And you said that, like, she, you know, she got her life together. And like, sure, there's a whole story of success and acceptance and transformation and growth, which is really, really positive. And there's also a story of, like, having a child and, like, going through foster care and, and a lot of uncertainty, a lot of terror. Right? Frankly, I can only imagine what it would be like for a three-year-old to, like, you know, move to some uncle's house and then like, you talk about being grateful because you didn't go into the system. You can express gratitude for your uncle and you can also be mad at your mom for like bringing you into a world where she really didn't take care of you for the first couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that you should call her a bad person, but like, you know, I think it's important if someone kind of doesn't do their job and doesn't do right by their children for the child to be able to forgive. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that there's, there's a lot of negative emotion there. And I find it hard to believe that on some level, like you don't hold some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like hearing that I just, I struggle with it because I know my mom has also beat herself up a lot because of, um, because of it. And, I know like we we've had conversations where she like a lot of she she blames herself a lot for like how large I was as well as a child because uh we couldn't really afford any like like presents and stuff like that but like whenever we did have extra money it went to like buying fast food or buying like a a a, a treat right because we could actually that was like something we could afford and I know that she holds a lot of a lot of guilt for the size that I was and like she's she's told me a story like she used to walk into my room when I was at my heaviest and like when I was sleeping and she'd look at the bed and she would like she describes it as like it was just a big blob on the bed because of how large I was and she would leave the room crying you know and so I like I I feel a lot of um I feel a lot of pride in the fact that I've been able to take that away from her um take that guilt away because now I'm good. You know, but like you don't bro, have to worry about let that. Let me explain anymore. something to you, okay? Dude, this is important, but stay with me. Mm -hmm. You haven't okay. taken it away from her. She still carries that shit, man. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you something. If I do something wrong to you and I feel guilty, how do you make me feel better? I mean, I guess like by maybe saying sorry and like not doing it again no no, no. So, so so if i wrong you and i feel guilty how do you oh, make oh, me okay. feel better sorry i by saying it's all good like i'm i'm it's okay like i'll be fine ah so that's what you say so so i think that's the interesting thing right so the, oh, the yeah, way i say the, that a lot i'll be fine <laughs> yep so so i don't think that's what it is it's it's for you to say I forgive you. Mm. It's a, to acknowledge that you fucked up. We're gonna own that together, and I forgive you anyway. 
But I think the problem here is that when you say it's all good, like it's subtle, it's very, very subtle. The person who can get rid of her guilt is actually you. But in order to get rid of her guilt, you have to acknowledge what she did wrong and then forgive her for it. Yeah, I I definitely try and I try and make people not feel bad. And so yep. instead of being like, you know, that was really messed up. I'm like, it's all good. I'm fine. You know, don't worry about it. That's I say that all the time, like to my girlfriend as well. Like, don't worry about it. Yep. Which and doesn't, I guess, leaves no one with any sort of recourse, I guess, because we're both There like, you go. Right? Yeah. It's weird. It's one of these adaptations that we have to maintain harmony, but doesn't fix the problem. Hmm. And I just think about this for a second. If you go to your mom and like, it's going to hurt, right? And, and you say like, when you saw me as a blob, like there are times in my life where I wish that you hadn't given us fast food. Mm-hmm. But the more that I've come to understand you and, and things like that, I understand that you didn't know any better and I forgive you for that. And mm-hmm. I also think that it's amazing that you got clean. Like, do I wish the first couple of my years of my life were different? Yes. Could you have done a better job? Absolutely. And I forgive you anyway, because at the end of the day, you did get your shit together. And you supported me in ways A, B, and C. And I'm not overweight now. I'm doing awesome in life. And part of that is because of what you've given me. Mm -hmm. And so I forgive you for what happened, because at the end of the day, my life is pretty good now. Mm Mm-hmm. And you did get sober, right? So it's it's like, John, for you, I mean, you're so insightful and you're so introspective. For you, this next phase is about balance of the good and the bad. It's not good versus bad. It's not protecting your mom from the hurt because you don't want to hurt her. You have to let her be hurt and then you have to let her heal. But because mm-hmm. you're taking that away from her, you're never holding her responsible. You can't ever forgive her and she can't ever move past it. Mm-hmm. Instead, you guys just kind of pretend, you know, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Which there's a part of me that says that, like, for her to truly be at peace, you've got to let her own her mistakes, but make sure she doesn't fall into the trap of devaluing her successes, too. You've got to give her both, Mm. the good and the bad. And then if you say, Mom, I forgive you, I think then her guilt will really go away. Because right Mm. now it's just buried. Yeah. Thoughts? I mean, I, I, I think that you are, you are definitely right. I, um, I think like this is something that a lot of my family has done. Um, I would say more, most specifically, probably my, my brother and me, um, my brother, he's older than I am. And, uh, he is also, you know, doing his own thing. He just got married. They're about to have a baby soon. And like, he's gotten out of that kind of world. Um, and so we both kind of try and just be like, every, Hey, we're good. My mom, everything's fine. But a lot of my, uh, some parts of my family haven't really gotten out of it and they struggle with the same things my mom did. Um, and so I think part of why I, f- it's so hard for me to do that to my mom is because I know that she's still struggling with so much guilt with like my oldest brother, Travis is still a, a he's still a drug addict and like, he's getting arrested all the time still and he's almost he's 40 years old and my mom I know my mom carries a lot of guilt with with him still about him still um and then with my younger sister she is 
she's getting on the right foot, but she's had a lot of struggles as well. And um, my mom basically like takes care of her child, um, my niece Faith, who I love a lot. Um, but I know that she carries a lot of guilt because of that. So I just feel bad, like stacking, you know, like I just like, hey, I'm doing good, mom. Like you, you, I know that you have to worry about them. Don't worry about me. I'm cool. Like everything's, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing well, which obviously isn't true but it's like that's i guess what i tell myself yeah so so i think it's it's makes sense right because you're protecting her yeah like you said you don't want to stack guilt and and so i'm not saying that the conversation needs to happen now yeah but i do think for real healing and and you know this reminds me of of you know sometimes i hear some people say that you know your mom did the best that she could i hear this a lot from from children who are protective of their parents. Yeah. And they said, you know, she did the best that she could. You don't say she did a great job. Mm-hmm. You said yeah. she did the best that she could. There's a big difference there. And I, I, I'm telling you, I've, I've seen this play out a couple of times where like in the right time, in the right place, um, you know, you can have a conversation with her. And then the other thing is that sometimes you don't even need a conversation with her. You just need to like process that for yourself. Mm. And then she'll feel because right now what she gets from you is like she fucking knows, man, she's your mom. Mm. She knows that there's a wall that you're putting up and you're trying to protect her and she loves you for it. But she's your mom and she knows that on the other side of that wall is her. And even if you can forgive her yourself, you don't have to say anything to her. But if you can forgive her and you can stop protecting her and you can let those walls down, she's going to know that too. And I've seen that. Mm-hmm. When, you know, we'll work through things in therapy with patients where like people will let go of resentment towards their parents and like their parents, like, it's weird. Like they'll meet for Christmas and their parents will like start crying and shit and like no one knows what's going on. But like they can tell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think like if, even if you don't want to just say it's like through wavelengths, but like I, it definitely could be through how I would act. Cause I definitely yeah. don't, I don't reach out to her very much. I don't share much with her because again, it's like, I'm just trying to like, I guess like, I don't want to say like wash my hands of it, but just, I just like, Hey, you're, you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. There's no reason. Like, I love you. There's no reason for us to talk too much. You know, I don't, we don't, we don't really don't talk very much at all. How do you feel about that? It's, it's definitely something that I I didn't think that it would happen because I lived with her up until I was like 23 or 24. Um, and so I lived with her, so we talked all the time. But then once I left, it was like almost – because that, that house that I was living in was very crazy. Like my sister lived there with my niece, and it was her. And then we at one point we had 10 people living there with one bathroom. Like it was just crazy. And I remember like leaving there, I felt like I was leaving everything behind. Um, And I kind of treated it that way. Um, Like I just kind of stopped reaching out and, uh, and I kind of just like, I, I just wait for her to reach out to me. I think like, not because I don't care about her, but because like one thing I also like really struggle with is feeling like I'm a burden. And I don't want to feel like I'm being a burden by like, hey, I have this or like I want I need this help or I just wanted to reach out and say hi. Like, even though that's silly, like, why would I be a burden by just saying hi? Like, that's how I feel. And yep. so I just don't, you know. OK, so now we're getting into different territory. So yeah. so, you know, where does that feeling come from? Because that's an echo, too. Oh, the 
the burden thing is, oh man, I, I think it comes from similar places of like the feeling stupid um, because of the extra help I would get. I felt like I was becoming a burden to other people. And then like, this is like, it's, it's a lot of like, when I say like, I'm worthless and all this stuff, then I'm also tacking on, like you're, you're being a burden, like you're making things harder for other people. So this is why I think like, I've even had conversations with people that helped me like with some of my, my mods in my uh, discord and like all this stuff is like, I don't, I, I almost never asked them for help. And they're like, dude, you're weird. We want to help you. And I'm just like, no, I'll do it myself. Like I just do it myself. It's fine. Like I, I, I'm used to doing everything on my own. And I think it's because I don't like to, I just don't want people to feel like they need to help me. Like I want to be able to, I can do it on my own. I don't need anyone to help me because I feel like if I'm being a burden, that's like a negative thing. And then like, I'm a burden because I am stupid. And because I am, I, I can't do things on my own. And I just, I, I really, really don't like feeling that way because like, I want to help others. I don't want others to have to help me, I guess. Mm. Right. So I don't want others. So, so, so that's interesting. Cause there's a, I, you to, tossed in one very interesting word there. Mm -hmm. I want to help others. I don't want others to have to help me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That I don't want it, like it's a necessity when they're helping you because you can't do mm -hmm. it without them. Yeah. And, and I think there's something significant. I, I don't know exactly what that is. It's going to take me some time to process that. But the other thing, so John, I would say, you know, I'm going to give you some advice or ask you mm -hmm. to do something, which is something I very rarely do. I think you should talk to your mom more yeah yeah i agree okay and and here's why so it sounds like your sister is still kind of struggling your brother is still kind of struggling and you don't want to help her mm -hmm. i think you should give your mom a wonderful opportunity that your brother and sister can't help can't give her which is the opportunity to help one of her children and it actually end up well <laughs> right yeah you should give her the chance to help you. And this is the thing. She doesn't need to help you. You don't have to have it happen. So we're going to dispel all of that. Give her mm -hmm. the opportunity. If you need some support, let her support you. And you know in the back of your mind, if she can't do it, no big deal. You're going to be fine anyway. Mm -hmm. But give her the chance if you're worried about something or you have like a fight with your girlfriend or whatever. Like, you know, if you really want to push your girlfriend away, talk to your mom about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> right but I, I would say just talk to her man yeah and even even feeling like i i can't tell you uh, do you have kids john no okay so i can tell you as a dad like kids burdening you is like only annoying some of the time but generally mm. speaking you know as a parent like i love to know what's going on in my kid's life i love to be able to help that's what i'm fucking here for and for mm -hmm. your mom, you've got to give her the chance to make up for lost time. Because mm -hmm. right now in her mind, I can guarantee you that she feels that there's a pile of shit that she should have done for you that she didn't do. Yeah. And you feel like you're a burden, but what you're, you're really doing is preventing her from like paying off that debt. Mm -hmm. You know, so give her the opportunity to help you. Give her the opportunity to be a part of your life and let her see that you're okay. And let her see that you're not okay. And if you need her help, like, that's totally cool, man. Like, take her help because that's what moms are here for. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think about that? I mean, I think that, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that I, I think will be helpful. I know I was the first thing I wanted to say is that I need to do, but I, I just, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to use that, those words, but I, okay. I do believe that it is um, something that will not just be helpful to me, but I, I know will be helpful to her. And even if it's like, like, yeah, like you said, like just being like, Hey mom, I, this happened today. I'm just stressed about it. What do you think? You know? And like, just like, even like, even though it might seem insignificant to me, the thought that she could like help me talk me through it or just kind of share her thoughts. Um, I know that she would, she would appreciate that opportunity. So I, mean, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and, uh, you know, let her, cause I, I think if we really think about like, if we really think about where this echo comes from, right? So I, I, th- what, what it is in Sanskrit, it's called a samskar. So samskar mm-hmm. is like a ball of undigested emotion or like a trauma. What we're really talking about is like when we think about, and, and this may sound, you know, uh, be careful about, I've been hesitating to say this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So if we think about really where insecurity comes from, there's this branch of psychology called attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And attachment theory has to do with the security of the child and how a child feels valued. Mm-hmm. And there are children who grow up with something that we call insecure attachment or children who grow up with secure attachment. And the studies that are done on this, how you tell whether a child is secure or has insecure or secure attachment, they do this really cool experiment. Parent and child are in a room with some blocks. Mm-hmm. And then stranger walks into the room. Right? They do this with like one-year-olds, okay? And then mom gets up and leaves the room. How long does it take for the child to start crying? Mm-hmm. When the mom just like gets up and walks away? Like how long before the child like notices, becomes uncomfortable with, with the, the other stranger in the room? And then the cool thing is for kids who are securely attached, when mom walks back into the room, how long does it take for children to stop crying? Mm-hmm. How long does it it take when they start to feel insecure, when you start to feel worthless, how long does it take for other people to be able to reassure you? Mm-hmm. And so for ki- children who are securely attached, it takes like less than 15 seconds. They cry really loud yeah. and like mom walks into the room and within a few seconds, like the crying is gone. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from you, and this has to do with maybe like mind body kind of stuff is like, I-, I think if you grew up in a household in the first three years of your life, with parents who are using you probably your brain learned that the world is like kind of a dangerous place yeah. and it's hard to reassure children who have insecure attachment mm. and and so I, what i'm hearing from you is that it's hard to reassure you right like when other oh, people yeah. tell yeah. you it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. i just don't believe them i just yep. i'm like yeah you're lying And the really tricky thing there is that, like, why is that? It's because, like, when you were one and before you even had memories, when you were scared, like, it's sad to say, but, like, it probably wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. Like, it may have been something as simple as, like, you know, you needed a diaper change or you were hungry or something like that. And, like, actually your basic needs weren't met. It's really sad. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I was, um, when I was doing my pediatrics rotation, we had this one kid on the floor who looked really interesting. So it's interesting you talk about, you know, extra skin. So it was like a really wrinkly baby, like super, super Mm. wrinkly, like flabs of skin, like hanging off. They looked like an old person, but like a baby. Mm. Turns out the kid was very malnourished. Mm. And so they just had no baby fat. 
And the kid was just the sweetest kid in the world because the kid never cried. All the other kids cried. This kid doesn't cry. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. Like, kid seems super chill. And one of the nurses, because nurses really understand shit, okay? Let me explain something to y'all. Mm-hmm. Nurse was like, the kid has learned that crying is useless. Oh. That if it cries, no one's going to come. So when it feels bad, it just sits with itself. Mm. It doesn't reach out to other people. Right? And so if we really think about, like, what happened to you, it's like, my guess is that it runs really deep, my dude. Mm-hmm. And the good news, I know that's dark, but the good news is that you don't have to feel that way, right? Is yeah. that that can change. And I think that basically, like, give your mom a chance to, like, love you and take care of you. And the next time you feel like a child, go running to mama. And, like, just, I'm curious, like, what would happen? I, I'm really curious from a diagnostic perspective. You can push your yeah. girlfriend away, but I wonder what would happen if you went crying to mama. Like, if she would actually, mm-hmm. if, like, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. right and that's what she needs and then she gets the chance to like fix what she didn't do right in the first three years of your life anyway i've been talking a lot for like the last half an hour to 45 minutes <laughs> no i i think like it's interesting that you bring that up because i definitely have this weird like I, like my mom and my dad they're both so appreciative when we talk on the phone because we don't really see each other very much my dad lives kind of far away like an hour um and so whenever if we talk on the phone like they're always like super happy and it's weird because like i feel good about that but then i also almost feel bad that they like the simple act of just talking on the phone like brings them so much joy and like i am i almost feel like i am withholding that joy from them in some way because I'm not interested in really talking that much. Like, I think it might be like you said, like this sense of I'm still blaming them for things. So I just kind of like, I'm just like, good. You guys do your thing. We'll do our thing. It's all good. You know, I'm fine. (laughs) Uh, And so I definitely like I, what you're saying now, I mean, it definitely resonates with me is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, so John, I'm going to put different words to it. Okay. You let me know. Cause these are like kind of nasty words. I'm fine without you. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't there when I needed you and I don't fucking need you now. Yeah. Right. So that you've got to let go of, man. Mm. That anger, like, got to let it go. Mm. And and you're not going to be able to do that without forgiving him. Yeah. And so, like, to say that, like, I needed you before you weren't there for me. Mm. And I grew up anyway. And I hate you for that. Mm-hmm. But I also love you. Mm-hmm. Because I recognize that, like, you had a hard life too. And that, like, at some point, you know, you did show up. And that without you, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. But boy, did I wish you did a better job. Because it caused me a lot of hurt. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have that conversation now. Yeah. Like, you can have it when you're ready. But I'm not surprised that, you know, it's hard for you to talk to them and you kind of say, it's all good now. Because there's an undercurrent of, like, anger and blame underneath that. Yeah. And then what we do is we we just pile on all this positivity, right? Like, I don't want to make them feel bad. Because all those things are true. It's not that those things aren't true. It's just that... Yeah. 
You know, John, you've got the root of it. Yep, right. Mm -hmm. It's not just beast. It's obese (laughs) to beast. Yeah. Right? It's like triumph over adversity, which means that there was adversity. Mm Mm-hmm. I started crying. So <laughs> I, I took that one for the team. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. Is it is it cool if I go to the bathroom real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, go for it. Okay. All right. I'll be right back. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, John, it actually feels to me like we've kind of covered a fair amount of ground. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have questions or stuff, I'd love to answer them. If you have thoughts that you want to share, I'd love to listen. Um, we can talk a little bit about meditation if you'd like, but, uh, you know, I kind of feel like we're at a decent pause or stopping point. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I think that, that that sounds good to me. I just, yeah, I wanted to wait to, to go to the bathroom until there was like a, I feel like yeah. a natural <laughs> break in the conversation. I don't want to be like, all right, I got to go. Um, so I guess like one thing that I, I am just interested, this is a very, uh, my own kind of personal thing. So um, recently I've cut out um, caffeine for the most part. Like, because I felt like it was like really triggering uh, my anxiety, mm-hmm. but I was just kind of curious what, what you think about that. Is that like kind of BS? Does that actually help people? Um, is that actually a useful thing? Uh, Cause yeah. I definitely do miss caffeine, but <laughs> I feel like it, I do feel like it's helped me, but I'm just like, is that placebo? Um, you know, help you with what? Like what? with my anxiety. Cause like I was, I was, I felt like I was noticing when I would um, drink coffee in the morning was I would like feel those feelings of anxiety a lot and like i would have like um those little episodes that i was telling you about maybe to a lesser degree um but i was just kind of curious like what you think yeah, about so, that and so, it's actually helpful yeah so i i think that um it certainly is helpful so the first thing to understand is that you know human beings are different and so you got to experiment and kind of work yeah. figure out what works for you but there are some general principles so if we think about caffeine caffeine is a stimulant right? And anxiety is an issue of excess energy or like the mind running really, really fast. If we think about, if we talk to people who have anxiety, it's not like their mind runs slow. It's like their mind is like super, super fast, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we think about medications for anxiety, like some people find that, you know, marijuana or alcohol, like they self-medicate. And what yeah. do those substances do? They slow us down, right? So they're downers. Um, and then if we think about the class of drugs or chemicals that stimulate us, caffeine, meth, cocaine, um, other kinds of stimulants are going to make anxiety worse. So uh, worsening anxiety, for example, is a potential side effect of Ritalin or Adderall. So yeah. any kind of stimulant is can make caffeine worse. So I don't think that's just placebo or anything like that. No. Um, it, generally speaking, you know, the, those, uh, caffeine is going to like increase the activity of our neurons and make them kind of jittery and make, you know, thoughts increase in rapidity. And if we just think about it, I think a lot of stuff in our body and our mind are two way streets. So if we speed up our mind, we're more likely to be anxious and the more mm-hmm. anxious we are, the quicker our mind goes. And if you yeah. think about, you know, what do people want to do with anxiety? They just want their mind to slow down. They want like everything to slow down. I yeah. would bet money that when you had the panic attack, um, your mind was like firing thoughts at you, like a thousand thoughts a second, you know, yeah. and it's just like, oh my God, this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And so caffeine puts your mind into a state where it is more vulnerable to that kind of thing. You're kind of priming mm-hmm. it for rapid thoughts. And so anxiety kind of really grows in that sort of soil. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's it's good that you cut caffeine out. Yeah. It can definitely help with Yeah, my, my like pool plan I was thinking about eventually if I do introduce it again, it would be like before I – like only before workouts because I, I've always felt like if I have like a, a – like the caffeine is going to something, right? Like I'm going to do a workout. So like my brain is focused on that then it would maybe help. I'm, I'm still not exactly sure how I'm going to implement that, but like those are, I don't know. I just, I just wanted to ask you about that because yeah. I figured you probably had a- some insight. Absolutely. So, I mean, some people do take caffeine as a, like a pre-workout supplement, right? So people will even take yeah. like caffeine pills and stuff to improve their workouts. Um, it, you know, I, I think it sort of makes sense, but I think generally speaking, you know, the more, the fewer mind altering substances you have floating around in your system, the more tranquil your mind is going to be. Yeah. And caffeine I, is that makes certain, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Other questions? Um, well, the last thing I just kind of want to talk about, I, I know that this is a big subject, but I just, I don't want to take up too much time. Um, but like with the, the thought of like, okay. Cause I, I mean, I deal with this so much of people asking me this question um, or like thinking this way is like, okay, I am overweight and I'm unhappy about being overweight. So I feel like if I lose the weight, then I will be happy. Right. Like, I guess I'm just asking, like, have you dealt with that? And like, what would you maybe like say to someone that might have that like mindset that would be coming to you and asking you about that? It's a great question. So that is a very complex topic Yeah, I, yeah. that ultimately <laughs> has to do with the nature of happiness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can go into that just very quickly, but so the, a couple of things, the first thing is that it makes sense sometimes for people to feel happier once they lose weight. Right. It's not if you take a thousand people who are overweight and then they all lose weight on the whole, the the people that lose weight are more likely to be more happy. Right. So so they're the first thing to acknowledge is that in a lot of cases, losing weight does lead people to feel happier. And there are physiologic reasons for that and stuff like that. You know, you just have more energy. It's not so much about the weight loss. It's about the exercise and the positive effects of exercise. Your basic metabolic rate can go up, things like that. You feel less thomsick, which is another kind of thing, um, which I won't go into. But for those of you who are familiar with that. So the first thing is that sometimes they feel happy. The second thing is that sometimes happiness isn't necessarily due to weight, right? Happiness is like a self-esteem issue or you know, feeling like you don't deserve love or attention or things like that, which gets tangled up with the weight. Mm-hmm. And and we know that because you even said that, like, you know, when I'm feeling down and my sister is mean to me, I go and I find comfort in nachos. Yeah, And that also is like not stupid or anything. That's because we actually have, you know, chemicals in our brain that are released from fatty foods and sugary foods that will actually improve our mood in the short term. Mm-hmm. And so people can start to feel happier through food, but what they're doing is they're using food as like kind of an antidote to a deeper set problem. And then they start to gain weight. Their weight gain preys on their pre-existing insecurities. And for those people who feel like if I change my weight, my ha- I'll be happy and everything will be great. That's not going to work, right? Because it's like the pre-existing insecurity. And you're actually a wonderful example of that, John. Because in a lot of ways, you have an awesome life that you really enjoy living and that you're grateful for. And you have stuff that lingers that is independent of your weight. So that's the Mm -hmm. second thing I would tell them. So where is the root of your unhappiness? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think a lot of times what happens, and the third thing, which is really the longer discussion, which I'm working on actually a set of videos about this, is like, where does happiness come from, right? Because a lot of times what happens is people look at being unhappy and what they do is they look at some external thing or even, and I even consider to a certain degree, your body to be an external thing. If mm -hmm. I change this about my life, then I will be happy. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if I had a girlfriend, I'd be happy. If I lost weight, I'd be happy. If I graduated from college, I'd be happy. If I was in college, I'd be happy. I wouldn't have to feel ashamed about myself if this thing in the outside world was different. And I've worked with some very, very successful people who are very, very unhappy. Mm -hmm. And what they find is that they chase one thing and then they chase the next thing and they chase the next thing and they chase the next thing. We did an interview a couple of weeks back with Gross Gore where we sort of talk about that because he was someone who was really like, yeah, I want the next thing and that's how I'm going to be happy. Mm -hmm. So then let me ask you something. If I eat a cookie and I feel happy, where does the happiness come from? Does it come from the cookie or does it come from me? I would say it comes from you. But the cookie is what made me happy, right? Why do you say it comes from you? Uh, well, because, like, I guess it's, like, you ch you chose to eat the cookie, and, you like, it's your choice to, to do that, and then so you fulfilled something that you were, like, trying to, to do, I guess? Sure. So the fulfillment of my desire is what makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right? So I guess that's the same thing as the cookie. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, so I, I think you're right. The happiness does come from me. I'm just challenging it a little bit. So if we like think okay. about it, like it, it's this idea that like, you know, if something else, like if I get this thing that I'm going to be happy, that that fulfilling my desires is what makes me happy. That's what mm -hmm. you're saying. And that yeah. sort of makes sense, because if we think about it, like if I eat one cookie. And then I eat a second cookie and a third cookie and a fourth cookie and a fifth cookie. What happens to my happiness with subsequent qu cookies? I, I personally would say it probably would go down. <laughs> yeah, right. Because too many cookies. <laughs> right, exactly. So so therefore, we can say that like, if the happiness really came from the outside thing, then the more of the outside thing we get, the more happy we'd be. And this mm. is what happens with people who chase money, right? They're like, I want $1,000. I want $10,000. I want $100,000. I want a million dollars. I want $2 million, $3 million, $4 million, $5 million. They just want more, more, mm. more. Because they think that that money is going to bring them happiness. But it doesn't. The happiness actually comes from in here. If you really tunnel down and you look at it, and then you also say that the fulfillment of desires is what brings you happiness. But, you know, I think the tricky part with that is if I eat a cookie and I feel sated, what happens the next day? You want to have another cookie. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So fulfilling your desires actually just buys you more unfulfilled desires in the future. Mm which is what we see, right? So then they lose weight and then they're like, I'm still not happy. Yeah. Now I want this. Now I want this. Now I want this. And so chasing after your desires, even though it brings us a temporary satisfaction, actually signs us up to become more dependent on fulfilling our desires to make ourselves feel better. Mm. And it's a beast that never grows full. It'll mm. always be hungry again the next day. And so what would I say to these people? Probably some combination of all of that. That on the one mm. hand, if we really look at it scientifically, improving your weight is probably going to lead to an increase in mood. But that yeah. if you have some psychological, like, unfulfilled need or low self-esteem that you equate to weight, fixing your weight won't be enough 
It'll help, but it yeah. won't be enough. Yeah. And that ultimately, if you really want to be happy in life, you have to really understand that changing anything about your external circumstances is not going to be the real answer. Mm-hmm. And that it really has to do with like accepting yourself as who you are, letting go of desire and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that, that make sense for sure? Complete yeah. enough I of usually an answer? Like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, usually what I try and tell tell people is like you can't think of it as like a magic bullet or like a silver bullet or something that's going to fix everything like there are certain things that yes like if you're really upset that you can't bend down and put your shoes on then yeah losing weight will obviously fix that thing which might make you a little bit happy about that but if it's like you're struggling like with me like struggle with anxiety or whatever it's like it's not going it's just not going to fix that that thing yeah um so okay all right yeah yeah cool any other questions or great questions man no, I think that's about it. I mean, I, again, like I said, I appreciate you taking the time to to talk. This was um, very insightful. Um, I wanted to say fun, but I feel like that's not, but I, I genuinely did enjoy the conversation, yeah. but it was, uh, it was very insightful and interesting. Yeah. I, John, I, I just want to echo again. I, I think, um, you know, you were a really insightful person. I think we, I got to teach a little bit more because I think you had gone halfway there on your own. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I have to like get people to kind of where you started off. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I hope I didn't monopolize the conversation too much, but no, um, no, I, I mean, what I wanted to say is I think a lot of like, not to like try and like sing your praises too much, but like, I think a lot of it was, has been from watching your videos and like, because like a lot of times I'll watch them or watch them, but I'll listen to them as I'm like on a walk or something. And I try and put myself in the position as much mm. as I can. Um, and so I would, I would say that's probably why maybe I was able to be, like you said, be halfway there because I, I really try to like, okay, how does this make me feel like, you know, so, um, you, you probably, you weren't even, you weren't even doing, you, you, you weren't even talking to me, but you were helping me at the same time, which I know is like exactly why you do this stuff. So, yeah, that's really cool. I, I think I'm really actually happy to hear that, John, because I hope more people do what you do, because I think part of what I'm excited about is teaching people like step two. Mm hmm. Right. And I I don't give people much advice because most people are still in the diagnosis phase where they need to figure out what's going on. I think you've Mm -hmm. done such a good job of sort of starting that process that it's like really like call your mom and see what happens. Right. Talk to her. There are a lot of subtle things because you really have grown. It's like the higher you climb, you know, the thinner the air gets and the harder it is to keep climbing. Mm -hmm. And and that's what's really tricky. Um, And John, uh, uh, the last thing that I want to say is, damn, son, like you were really an outlier when it comes to the hand that you were dealt (laughs) and and how far you've come. Yeah, thank you. I it's something that I've um, it's weird because, like I said, the thing I struggle with is feeling like I'm not special and stuff. But it's something that I've I've really been like um, I've I've started to notice more and more. um, And so I try not to uh, make it seem like what I've done is like the easy thing that anyone can do it. Like I try when I say that, like I try and put myself in the position of someone that might not be able to do that. And like, how do I help that person? Right. Um, but yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> um, do you meditate? Uh, I can't say that I do. Okay. That's totally cool, man. I mean, don't, do, yeah. do you feel judged when you have to say no to that question? Um, no, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've watched a lot of your videos and I know that you a lot of times will do guided meditations. Um, and so I guess I feel like, man, maybe I should be. (laughs) So, so so be careful, right? So don't judge yourself. So now this is going to be really, really hard. 
Okay, so okay. be really, really, really careful. Okay, John, this is the final exam. Okay. So I'm going to ask okay. you if you want me to teach you some meditation. Mm -hmm. And I want you to answer with not what you should say, but what you mm -hmm. actually feel. Yeah. I think I would, I would like to learn some stuff for sure. Okay, cool. So I'm going to teach you some super basic stuff. Okay. okay. I try to teach this periodically. Have you, have you done alternate nostril breathing with us before? Yes, I did. Uh, I think it was, it was one of the videos. I remember I, I, I did as much as I could. Cause again, I was on a walk. So I was like, that's I totally wanna, cool. Like, <laughs> so yeah. let, let's, let's do it now. Okay. So I, I okay. try to teach this periodically, but I think it's just a great place to, um, so alternate nostril breathing is going to be good when you're in those dark moments where you're losing control of yourself. If you do even nine breaths of alternate nostril breathing, not to say that it's going to be the magic bullet and wipe it all away, but I think you're going to be able to take a little bit more control. Mm -hmm. Okay. So alternate nostril breathing is a shuddhi technique. Shuddhi means cleansing. And I think, John, what you need to do more than anything else is like, clean this crap out because you're killing yeah. it in so many different ways that you just you're you've got your trash can is filled up in your subconscious you just clean it out mm -hmm. so um what i'm going to ask you to do is take your right hand and and fold down two fingers yeah that's fine too yeah good right. <laughs> yeah um so and then we're going to put our right thumb on our right nostril and breathe in And when your breath is full, we're going to block the other nostril. Good with your pinky. Good. And breathe out. And breathe in through the same nostril. Switch. And breathe out. In through the same nostril. Switch and out. If you're watching at home, go ahead and join in. Breathe in. Switch. Breathe out. In. Switch out go ahead and continue at your own pace remember to breathe out then in then switch and people may find that one nostril is more closed than the other that's completely normal it's just part of your svara We'll practice for about 60 more seconds.
Go ahead and finish the breath that you're on. Let your eyes remain closed and just relax. I want you to just take a snapshot of who you are in this moment. Just feel the perfection of your being. It's not big, it's not small, it's not brilliant, it's not stupid, it's just you. And remember that no matter how you feel or what echoes may arise from your subconscious, this is who you are. And when you're ready, come on back. My camera seems to have uh, meditated as well. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is actually kind of creepy, bro. It's very weird. One second. Like, chat, this is creepy, right? There we go. That was very strange. I've never, I've never had that happen before. Yeah, I swear, sometimes weird stuff happens on this. Like, I, like, don't know, you know, I don't know. Anyway, you seem to be back now. You feel yeah. like you're back? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was, it's, it's, that's literally never happened. That's so, I, I'll, I'll have it on for hours. I, I really don't know what to say, man. <laughs> oh, I've never, I've, I've never heard of. Yeah, it's just it's just like too fucking weird of a coincidence, yeah, right? It, like it, it really is, yeah. But like really, how really on really earth is. there's no scientific plausibility for anything that has to do with anything about what just happened. There's just nothing. It's yeah. just all just completely fucking I was I was very confused. I like opened my eyes, I was like, how did he did he turn off my camera to make it more I was very I was like, wait, how is it off? I don't know, it's so weird. Anyway, oh, so man. I think we found a good technique for your camera. So, yeah. so, so stick with it <laughs> and and listen john i i mean i i hope the technique helped you calm yourself a little bit or you know you felt some degree of tranquility or peace no for sure i think like i've heard you explain it like the fact that you have to kind of focus on the what you're doing mm -hmm. it definitely helps me because i mean my mind is always going so the fact that i have to okay breathe in breathe out okay you know what i mean it helps me kind of not worry about like the noises yep. i'm hearing in the background or whatever so great 
And um, John, before we wrap up, I know like people will kind of trickle in. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about who you are and where we can find more information about you? Yeah. So uh, my name is John or Obese Beast. Um, I talk about, you know, weight loss. I talk about, you know, helping people um, that are, you know, trying to to lose weight. If you want to watch any of my videos or anything like that, it's Obese to Beast on, uh, on YouTube. Also on Instagram, Obese to Beast. Here on Twitch, Obese to Beast as well. Um, I try and I live stream both on YouTube and on Twitch. Um, if you guys like watching live streams, um, usually a lot of just hanging out and talking for the most part, I'm not <laughs> a, a great gamer. <laughs> I'll play among us, but that's about it. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much where you can find me, uh, Twitter as well. Obese beast. It's all the same. Cool. Thanks a lot, man. And, yeah. and, you know, no, really good luck you. to you, John. And I'm, yeah, I, thank I, you. I'm was... I, I just appreciate it. Sorry. Yeah. You're very welcome, man. Um, and and good luck to you and and good luck on your journey and keep us posted you know let us know how how things are going with your mom will do i'll okay. let you know for sure take care guys all right